Hello everyone, welcome back to the Shape Your Work podcast with my partner Simone Fenton-Jarvis and I'm Ali Khan, where we both talk about everything workplace, health and technology. Today, we talk to our special Diary of an Employee guest, Saskia Lorison. She's an expert in workplace experience and we'll find out about the things that drive real estate strategy and the changes they're experiencing today. Saskia, would you like to introduce yourself in your own words? Thanks, Ali. So um, I'm Saskia. I am a workplace consultant with 360 Workplace. We specialise in workplace strategy and change management, helping our clients figure out what the future of work is going to look like. Some personal sort of areas of interest and excitement for me at the moment is a lot around sort of well-being in the workplace and how that's evolved over the past, you know, five-ish years, five, six years. Um, and that covers all things like, you know, neurodiversity and the sustainability realm touches on that quite a lot. And then also a lot about Gen Z and the next, you know, the generational differences within the workplace and, and what we're seeing coming through. So there's so much stuff out there to read and to know about and to learn about. And it's just a very exciting time, I think, at the moment to be involved in workplace design and figuring this out with our clients. Fantastic. And Saskia, great to speak to a person who's um, leading the way with data from the sound of it and these really fantastic kind of um, uh, topics that you're looking at are very appropriate and in the moment right now. But how did you get into workplace? Is this something you tripped up upon as a job or is this an industry that you, because I can't see anybody going to university saying, I'm going to go and work in workplace and change the world of work. Mm. I suppose you probably would if you wanted to be an interior designer and you wanted to design commercial spaces, maybe. But no, so I, yeah, fell into it. Like I think most people do when you speak to them about how you came about about workplace stuff. So um, after I graduated from university, having studied music, by the way, I took a bit of a break because I was like, I don't really know what I want to do. And then, um, so 360's Area, um, sister company is called Area, the design and build firm based in Windsor and London Bridge. And in their regional offices, they were looking for a receptionist. So I applied for the role, I got the role, and I fell in love with the company culture. And um, the more that I learned about the company and what they did and the process that you get kind of from the very initial taking, like introducing yourself to a client and taking a brief all the way through to the completion and the handover and the educational side with the clients, that was something that just, I just thought this, is this a job? Like people get paid to do this. And then the more that I learned about it, the more that I loved it. And then yeah, here I am five and a half years later, still loving it and doing it and learning every day. So a bit of a falling into the position kind of thing. Yeah, do you know what? It sounds very much like my role, that. Um, I also fell into facilities management, kind of head first, just wanted to wanted a, a small job while I was at university, went into leisure management, gym instructing, and then just kind of went into PT teaching, didn't like it. I was like, I'm going to go back into facilities. I was felt quite fulfilled working there. And yeah, 15 years on, I'm still here twitching around. Um, but it's, I think once, it's interesting, obviously, because I'm working with IDBFM about the whole, how do we get more people into early careers within FM? And I think within the FM and workplace realm, like once people are in it, they love it. But then when you sit and talk to people and go, this is what we do, and you're trying to put it into words, people are like, wow, I don't want to do that as a job. Wow, why, why? No, Why? It's like oh, if you if you experience it, you'll love it. You just have to to get into it and give it a go. And it's it's a it's a bit of a vicious circle, isn't it? A little bit. I think as well, like 
post-COVID, especially with the workplace strategy side of things, feels like every man and his dog has become a workplace consultant all of a sudden helping. So it's like, you know, no one wanted it before, but now all of a sudden there's, you know, people are rebadging their titles to be workplace consultants and workplace strategists or whatever, because the, the need has gone up a bit. Yeah, yeah, that whole... Um... It was interesting, weren't it, when the whole kind of COVID thing happened and I had friends sending me articles and it was like, oh, hybrid working is a new thing. And I'm like, yeah, stop sending me these articles. I don't need to read anymore. Thank you. Like, I thought you'd be interested in this. Nope. I'm sick of reading about it. I'm sick of reading You've written half of them. Yeah, I was like, bad journalism, half of them. Like, I'm like, and yeah, that's the other half, obviously. <laughs> but like, when when you look at them, you think, you, you read some of the stuff that's coming out and it's all very like, yeah, obviously, because anybody that's been doing this for years knows all of this stuff. Mm. And it's like the new world has now awoken to everything that we've been saying and doing for years. Mm. And actually, I, I, I kind of want to take it as a positive, but at the same time, it's really frustrating because you have got now people thinking they're an expert in everything and I keep ranting at the moment around project management is not the same as change management that is very different mm-hmm. and that is one of the pitfalls that people keep falling into um is that just yeah. me have you come across that as well no um I mean I agree with everything you've just said I think the whole con- so, so if we take for example like the, the concept of activity-based working and how that's been around for longer than I've been in the industry you know and yet all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, look at this like amazing new solution for COVID. And it's like, yes, OK, I'm just going to stay calm. Yes, Mr. Client, you're right. We'll go down that path with you. Um, but that sort of that's been around for ages. And now everyone's jumping on it. And like you say, trying to take it as a positive and being like, yeah, this is good. We're good. We can you know, this we, we believe this is the right thing to do. But I still get quite frustrated when I'm confronted with clients and they're like, never thought that a one-to-one desk ratio isn't the best use of space and I'm like yeah duh so that I do find frustrating but in terms of like the project management and change management stuff I think people underestimate how much time and effort goes into a really successful really effective change management program um which is another frustration I've got lots of frustrations we might have to edit (laughs) these out um but yes I think people not really realizing the the shift that's happened I I mean we've all lived it we all know that we're now in this hybrid world of working but there are still so many uncertainties around you know how many days in the office how many days at home do companies need to put policies in place how many you know office spaces around the UK have actually changed to meet this new way of working I saw this brilliant quote that said you can't bring changed workers into an unchanged workplace and yet and yet the people you know the, the the amount of spaces that we see that haven't changed since you know 2019 and before so there's a lot there's a lot going on and then to just try and get a change management workshop you know a change management program completed and successful in the space of two months no like that was one of the things we had to do recently and I'm like I'm sorry you I I can tell you now that is going to not land how you want it to so that yeah I think people it needs more time needs more space needs to be brought into the conversation a lot sooner on these kind of processes which they're not sometimes yeah yeah are you finding within that world the kind of 
that I always talk about HRIT, FM, Golden Triangle. Let's get them all in a room. Let's let's make sure are you see more of that happen or are we still um, not learning from our previous mistakes? Mm. So I think, I mean, as part of our process, we we speak to those teams in particular, but I did see a shift in 2020. So as part of our process with, with 360 and with area, you know, we go to intro meetings with clients and you kind of do the, the initial introduction to your services, et cetera. So like pre-2020, I'm pretty sure most of the time we were speaking to the CFOs and the FM teams, you know, maybe the ops. Sometimes someone from HR would be there if well-being was part of the conversation. So I'm, I'm a well-AP and a fit-well ambassador. So if they brought me into the room, then maybe a HR person would be there. But then it sort of came like all of a sudden in 2020, guaranteed HR person in the room having a conversation. Or like one the other day was like the, the brand manager of, of this company like they were the person leading the office redo so I have seen a shift in the people that we're selling to essentially is having a, a HR in the room a lot more definitely not so much IT but yeah HR everywhere now yeah yeah I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying about um how FM workplace are battling now with HR because um throughout the pandemic they were trying to get on the same page and now it's a bit of a power struggle and it's like, well, who is going to own this way of working going forward? Is it going to go to HR? Is it going to go to FM? Have you mm. have you experienced any of that kind of power struggle? What are your thoughts on that? So my solution, which we're seeing a lot more of, is a workplace experience manager. That's what you need. And that's what I've seen. I don't know, some of you might have the same plastered on my LinkedIn, workplace experience managers up and down the country. That's what people are after because you need somebody who's got the FM knowledge and experience of being able to, you know, manage the space because that's important. But then you sort of also need this element of being able to coordinate the marketing, the HR, maybe a bit more of that futuristic thinking about what's coming next. So I think the amount, the, the increase in the amount of roles I'm seeing of workplace experience manager, workplace experience lead, you know, anything in that realm, that's the solution for the clients who can afford it. <laughs> who can afford to have someone, who, you know, who, who think that's an important enough role but yeah, I think still, you know, it changes from client to client who's the ultimate decision maker. And honestly, half the, like, let's be honest, 90% of the time it comes down to the, the money and what we can afford and what we can't afford. Um, so it's different client by client who actually has the ultimate say, usually comes down to money. But I really think that position, workplace experience, manager, workplace experience, lead, whatever, whatever you want to call it, I think that's going to become like part of the FM team now like you, or you're calling your FM team the workplace experience management team so that that is coming up I think yeah yeah no, I agree with that definitely so um this, this is fascinating and, and hearing both of your experiences you know from the perspectives that you're you're talking about them one of, one of the things that's striking me is to to figure out in your experience, in your own experience, Askia, have you come across these conversations being data led? So are they asking the fundamental question, what are the topics and the data behind those topics that define experience? Mm. So. So, right, step step back for a second, because. Data, when you say data, I immediately think occupancy percentages and utilisation percentages. That's the data that my head goes into, is that side of things. So um, 
to answer your question with that in mind, yes, people do make those data driven decisions. But then also you're probably talking about things like staff surveys and what, you know, there's there's other forms of data. So that's how I would answer this question is with the occupancy utilization data in mind. So, yes, we have clients who, you know, the, I mean, the increase of workplace desk booking systems that can provide you with analytics and people using swipe badge data to see how many people are actually coming into the office. I think almost every client that we speak to is doing some level of data analysis when it comes to the occupancy of the spaces. Some um, are more invested than others. Like I think personally, my own personal opinion is that swipe badge data doesn't tell you anything. It tells you, you know, where's that? You know, I can swipe into a building. Someone could tailgate behind me. And then where am I going when I'm in, you know, am I using a phone pod? Am I using a desk? Am I using a meeting room? Am I using a 12 person meeting room for three people? Like that's the level of information that we as workplace, you know, consultants need in order to form the actual brief. But not every client can afford that or have the time to do it or, you know, they, they think they can do it themselves. So. It, yes, the, the need of data, I think, has gotten a lot bigger, but I'm focusing on occupancy data not always what employees say and want, like from a staff survey, for example. We've had a couple of clients say, I don't want to ask the staff because they don't know what they want. Which I'm like, I, I get like going into this new way of working, kind of just want to, sometimes you want to just drop them in the deep end and see, good luck, here we go, rather than ask them what to do. I don't know. So more on the occupancy, less on the staff survey. I had a good debate on this on the Tuesday event actually and we were talking about if you ask people what they want you will get what they want um actually what do they need and um we was having a good debate about it and it was some people don't know what they need so people are going yep yeah, happy working from home five days a week I I love working from home I also love going to an office okay so that's me personally so you get people saying I just want to work at home I'm happy working from home and then you look at all the data that's coming out about well-being, loneliness, um, inactivity, everything that's coming through and you're going, so you don't know that you need this. You know that you don't want it. So are we going to end up in a few years time, the whole ambulance chasing PPI situation of did you work from home during COVID? Have you got a bad back? Do you suffer from loneliness? I, you know, I, Do you think we're heading down that path of we're trying to fit with what people want but actually you know we we need to ask what they want but I do think there's a bit of a golden thing of you look at data and you go right okay so we've got people's desires what people actually you know what people want and that might come through a survey you've then got people's intentions which then comes through you know booking systems calendar information you know what what are they planning to do in that week and then you've got the actual data which is then when access control or wi-fi or sensors come in and I think somewhere is the that middle ground of we need to cater for what people desire, what they're actually going to do, because that's what the work, the job actually needs them to do. And then you've got the element of well, what does the company need and how does the company be effective? And actually, I think that's what we're grappling with at the moment. It feels like we we're just kind of going, we went really, really far of saying to everybody, what do you want? Without really understanding what they needed at that point. Um, and I think that was my that was my ponderings really over the last week. And I usually get to Friday and try and write a blog 
and I was uh, I was trying to write it this morning and I was thinking I, I don't know how to to get this out really because there's a definite we do need to ask people what they want but sometimes we also need to spend the time to educate them about what they need and mm-hmm. I think that education bit is a bit that's missing because you go from kids being sat cross-legged in school telling you know being told to sit still and be quiet and actually that's not what we need to do in life we need to be creative and move around and be active and all of these things to get our brain cells working we know all of this yet schools don't do that you then get to primary school and again teachers are kind of going sit still listen to us and yet they're in this room full of all of this artwork on the walls that is making kids hyper and then the, yet they're being told that like, you've been extra stimulated by all the stuff on the walls but then you're being sat told to, to listen to the person at the front of the room okay you get to secondary school and kids start rebelling and they're trying to find their way and then they get to college university whatever and actually if you look back at the people and i've spent the last kind of three years working in their bedroom whether that be studying working whatever there's a massive difference between their experience of now coming into the workplace to what I guess other people were, were experiencing beforehand and working with some of these people you think wow this is where, where have they been for the last three years and it's because actually they've missed out on so much of that experience of working in an actual office with people learning mm. from them um yeah. So yeah that's yeah that's where kind of I was pondering this week going we're setting are we setting ourselves up for failure by you know asking people what they want rather than what they need are we educating people on what they need or we just kind of keep telling them it's, it feels very parent child rather than an adult adult relationship I think mm, but I wonder if that's what's needed though just to kind of get us through the next however many years it's going to take to kind of everyone to recover from this because I feel like yeah like if, if you ask me what I wanted I'm just thinking of a couple of people that I've spoken to recently and I was like oh how are you finding like do you ever go back into the office and she was like oh god no like no what I think she needs is to go and feel engaged with her company and to go and feel connected to her colleagues and to see that she's part of something bigger than herself rather than just sitting at home all the time so like you say that sort of golden triangle between what you what the employees want what they actually need and then what the organization needs to function properly and to continue being you know, profitable or whatever, it's something that we're trying to figure out every project with our clients because everyone's different. Everyone's got something else. And it's that balance of ultimately, you know, if it has to go one way, if it had to tip in any of the favour, which way is it going to go? Probably going to be towards what the organisation needs rather than anything else really, isn't it? Yeah, I think at the moment it's probably the what the employees want and then that's where all the speak about the great resignation and all that kind of load of trifle in my opinion but where all that kind of comes from then is it's because people are acting with what they want and actually I think maybe over time you know I, I I'm an introvert okay so when the pandemic hit I was like this is literally amazing I get to sit here my wife is here my dog's here I can I can just get on my work I've got no distractions no noise I'm having a brilliant time that was great after about two months I was like I really should go see some people because the only person I've spoken to is literally like my wife, whoever on teams and like the postman. And I was like, this is becoming a little bit weird. And it's I've actually noticed in myself, it's taking me time to even be able to do eye contact with people face to face again, because I forgot how to do eye contact. So if I you'd have asked me what I wanted, I'd have stayed at home forever. What do I need? No, I need to go see people. And I mm. know that because when I 
when I leave an event now after networking, yes, I'm tired and like mentally drained and going, right, I really need to go recharge, but I feel a million times better for doing it. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd have just stayed at home. Even as an introvert. Yeah. I think that's, you know, because I'm a famous extrovert. So like, I think even to hear an introvert <laughs> say, you know, that, that that's important. Because I think, so my husband works from home all the time. He's like a remote based worker. He's an introvert like yourself, Simone. And and then I'm I'm out most days, like you know, working from home on a Friday is the thing now. But Monday to Thursday, guaranteed, I'll be somewhere. And when that started to pick up again, when I was able to go out again, I'd come home feeling like absolutely wiped out, exhausted, but like I've accomplished something. And I'm like, yes, I've been somewhere. I was needed. I had a purpose. I had a community. Like all of that good stuff. And I come home on a Friday and I like, flop on the sofa. And he'd be like, right, right, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like, where, where are you at? What are you up to? And I'm like, oh, because he's not had any social stimulation for five days. And I've had nothing but social stimulation for five days. So that was interesting trying to figure out that balance again <laughs> once I was allowed back out. But mm-hmm. I think that, yes, it sounds wonderful for an introvert to be upstairs in your room, on your own for whatever. But really, you know, and you think about, you know, not just the social side of things, but the physical setup of, I mean, when I'm at home, I work at my breakfast bar and like after two days, I can tell my back's like, oh, babe, probably should go and sit on a chair and a desk or something. And, you know, it's it's not just about the social stuff. It's, you know, do you have the correct setup at home? And then as you touched on, somebody, like you think about the people who are coming out of uni, starting at a company. Like I said, I'm really interested in like Gen Z and, you know, millennials and the younger side of millennials now, really, and how we're progressing and what we're doing and how are we learning and having been in that environment myself of starting as a junior and like learning baptism through fire chucked into the deep end let's get you out in pitches let's get you out in projects let's you know let's go for it go and sit next to the CEO for a day and see what he does like I've, I've been there and I've had that and I can't imagine that I'd be where I am today if it weren't for those five years of me being in the office in that environment so you know what you need isn't just what you need but what your company needs and I was at a Cornet event on Wednesday morning and the lady was like, I, I beg of you, to all of her peers, she was like, I beg of you, go into the office so that the younger generation have someone to, like, model themselves after. And I think that's also what is needed. It's not just for your sake. And I think people have become quite selfish and insular, perhaps. Again, just my opinion. Um, it's not just for you, but, it's, you know, the greater good. And what do other people need from you in the office, not just what you need to get out of being in the office? Yeah, no, do you know what? That's something else that came up on the, the Tuesday discussion as well. It was a women, women in office design event. And the, the conversation went to have we become self-centered in that we are thinking about what we need individually. And actually, we're not contemplating that by us going to the office, we are allowing other people to learn, to be mentored, to have the role model, to have interaction with someone that's got more experience, especially in a design setting. You know, it's that throwing the ideas backwards and forward when you design in the workplace, things around neurodivergence, just the general knowledge that happens within working in design for a long time, actually have become self-centered in that we're forgetting how much we, the ones that want to work at home, was learning from people that we worked in an office with. Like I can I can name people now that I've worked in offices with and think, God, I, I learned so much from them. And would I be where I am without them? No, I wouldn't. Yeah, so same. It's, it's we we need to see it as almost like our duty and our time to also repay some of this. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not. I think we, I think we're missing that a little bit at the moment. So, do you think that's like linked to that quiet quitting idea of like I'm gonna just I'm doing the bare minimum I need to do? I think about this a lot because we we always kind of joke in in our company that like you know your job description is fifty percent of what you do. The other half is like 
it's your jump you know we, we've got like a next gen committee which i'm like very involved in we've got like a studio alliance team which is our european partners like all of this and like our thought leadership elements all of this stuff takes up my time but it's not in my job description but i do it because that's what i love and you know that's the thing that i like just i love that part of my role like you said like public speaking opportunities it's not in my job description but you know bite your hand off at any chance so for quiet quitting i'm just thinking and, and and that idea of you know I'm, I'm doing I'm doing what I need to do to get my job done is get paid at the end of the month and that's it. This is where I feel this like, like I was talking about that lady who didn't want to go back into the office. I just feel a bit like oh you you miss you know you you need something needs to change that like you need to be excited again by work and whether that's the manager's responsibility or the organisation's responsibility to try and get people fired up again about getting the passion back and the excitement back and the being together. I just feel like it's a real shame this whole quiet quitting mentality and if we have become like a self-centered workforce I think it's a real shame and I hope something changes. Well, yeah. What's interesting is the latest quiet you know because we've had the you know quite quitting it's gone all the way through lots of different things have been quiet and quietly happening under your nose and you did not know the new one is apparently called quiet promotion so uh, how do you you know I, I think I've not read enough about it but I think what they mean is those people who are doing extra work because they are fundamentally being, you know, in some way passionate about that particular uh, aspect. But there's also uh, a negative aspect about about that, which is, you know, uh, punished because you're doing so well. We'll give you more work and and that promotion kind of opportunity for a lot of other people through performance based um, um, kind of uh, you know view or the lens of the world is is lacking Do you know you know in many ways listening listening to you both you know the contemplation i have because you know i'm i'm a scientist at the end of the day what i do is i think about data i think about contextualizing what that data is saying through a series of models and insights that can then help the world make you know informed decisions and and what what's interesting is um uh, you know a number of years ago i figured out when i just sat down i thought every single thing every single thing that is made has been made for human beings think about it right everything and and so what do we therefore want that person so you know if it's a car something's being serviced for a car but who's going to drive it if it's for something that's being cultivated, who's it for? It's ultimately for the person that's going to utilize. So was a person at the heart of that model. Now, when we do system design, one of the things I find in system design that's fantastic is the ability to get, transport a person from point A to point B. It's what change management is about. And what my observation has been, and actually working together with Simone from a number of years ago, and, and Simone, I think something I'll quote you on, you said quite well, you do what and I won't name some companies because it's not the right thing to do, but you said you do what they do um, by about 80 to 90 percent and you do 100 percent of everything they don't do. So that's what we've tried to build within a system design approach that allows you now to start to look at, for example, the workspace from a perspective of mental health, the workspace from a perspective of culture. But you can quantify this. So it allows you to start to think about ultimately that lady who's retiring from her perspective, because mm -hmm. her perspective might well be, I'm tired, I've been doing it for years, and I can be as efficient in my job to deliver what I need to deliver. Now we can look at it from the other side of the lens, from the team's perspective. Are they fundamentally getting what they need from her and are they happy with that? 
If they're happy with that, the need and the want is actually being balanced. It's okay. So it allows us to take a, make a more balanced, informed decision. But it's the it's the data with a combination of the models and at the heart of it. Ultimately, what I've also worked out, it's about it's about performance. Because if you think about it, we all have to be as productive. But who's actually measuring that as well? Mm. So, so I think I think this dichotomy, this this world of workplace that has actually some you know way met you know with or clashed with in many ways with IT and especially HR because a number of organisations have restructured to have their workplace functions now reporting up to HR functions because they've realised it's about people. But it's not just as simple as that. You've got to take the science of that system design in place to really look at all those factors in unison and then make informed choices. Are you, now Saskia, here's a $100 million question for me personally. Are you seeing that level of collaboration? Are you seeing that level of thinking in any of your client organisations? Mm. Um. So proper consultative answer here. It's different for every company, but <laughs> there's um there's one particular client of ours who I think even pre-COVID is no that no who who through COVID has really understood the importance of bringing all of their stakeholder departments on the journey when you're doing the office fit out, um which. And actually, you know, that they're some of our most successful projects that we do because every single person knows their part to play. Everyone knows what's happening. Everyone knows when everything's due. And they've got, you know, a bit of a model in place now where, you know, we're kind of like an oil, well-oiled machine. We know who the IT guys are. We know who the FM is locally. We know who the design, you know. So that, but that has taken five years to get to this position of being like, oh, that's what we need to do next time. And like, you know, and every single project we're learning and every single project we're tweaking and finessing and trying to find ways to make that process more streamlined. But that's 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 one that I can think of immediately that comes to mind when you say that. But in other situations, it still feels a bit clunky and it still feels like there's not been enough time given at the beginning of a project. So, you know, when we get involved from a consultancy point of view and start to poke and dig around, it feels like that that that's, that doesn't have enough space and time to kind of figure out what's what, if that's answered your question. Yeah, I, I think people are rushing to what it looks like still. I think they want to rush, they want to kind of skip that discovery research bit and go, okay, well, can, can we have some renders now? What, what does, yeah, give me a visual. Like? And you're like, ah, about what it feels like, about why it's functioning, why it's there in the first place, what is the mm -hmm. why before we start looking at what it looks like. Because, you know, it's, it is probably my biggest frustration, actually, about working in workplace consultancy is people always jump to, what does it look like? Um, well, we know there's fabulous buildings up and down the country all around the world that are sat with very low occupancy at the moment because people don't want to go there. It's not because of what they look like. Um, it's probably because of what it feels like or because of, of many other reasons. Rich. Leadership, Ugh. culture, whatever. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that that's something we always, always find is like, yeah, but what colour is it going to be? And people get really hooked on like things like that, which I find so frustrating. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I thought of something, but now it's gone. Yeah. So it, um, it just yeah. reminded me of uh, when uh, when I moved into my house, uh, we had all in living room was like stacked full of all these boxes that needed to be unpacked. And uh, I was like, right, where to start? And I turned around and my wife got a cushion out and a candle and had like put them somewhere and I was like, you actually, have you been this person? 
are you actually being this? and I, I remember going into this debate at the time and going but what about all these functional things first why have you just got a candle and a cushion out what the hell is you like trying to make it feel homeless and I was like oh my god you've been that person <laughs> like, mm-hmm. work. Um, mm-hmm. so I, 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 I had an inside track really of uh, of how people get to that point but um yeah so what what makes you productive at work right what is productive I don't like I I really struggle to define what being productive means to me and I thought about you know I, I was thinking I actually don't know the answer to this question I mean I, I suppose I do but it's like what am I doing where am I who am I with yeah. then I'll answer your question like what is productive yeah. so Ali you know interesting that you're talking about measuring all of these things measuring productivity what is how like by what what are we measuring by so that's something that I yeah I, I can't answer your question straight unfortunately yeah being productive to me can be anything from going and doing an intro call with a client and traveling to see them to coming home and creating the fee proposal to send to them to you know like the list goes on so yeah. okay so let's let's, let's, let's let's look at it from two two perspectives yeah. right if we can do you do you think that you get to do that to the best of your ability because your environment the policies you personally your health everything that could possibly line up in your control and outside of your control it might be within your employer's control and society's control but fundamentally do they all line up to help make you the peak performer in doing whatever you're doing hmm. see my initial thought is yes because I feel like I'm a good worker and I like yeah. I mean like I don't ever fall short of expectations like I I do what I say I'm going to do and so I feel like yes is the answer like I never feel like I'm underperforming. like the, the only times I think when I'm feeling a bit like oh that wasn't a good day is probably in my myself and like my personal mental state and, and my physical health you know as a company we've got any IT that I could possibly ask for I could get I've got you know if I needed support at home I could have that my manager and I have the most wonderful relationship there's like 100% psychological safety there there's autonomy so yes all of these things would make me productive the only thing that would probably fall short is is me so that's great because that's exactly what we measure that's productivity right there every single thing you said there we put a number on it so now, you've got, now you've got a measure, right? And that's one way. Now, another way of looking at productivity is, are you in flow? So, you know, the work that's been done in the literature uh, around this is when all the things line up and Saskia is in flow, she's able to think about the right things. She's able to write the right things down. She's able to communicate them really effectively because all the systems are working together. She feels in good, you know, positive motion, etc. Let's take the other side of things, things that happen for every, you know, Typically, somewhere along the line, you know, the opposite of stress as we think about it, distress is use stress. There's positive stress as well. Now, um, unfortunately, some people, they don't have good, high quality, productive conversations. They don't. They actually have a little bit of uh, conflict. Some have more. They have those really bad feelings inside. I'm dreading speaking to this client. I don't really want to do that oh my goodness, this is not ready. They're not going to look at this in the right way. They're not going to be forgiving. Those feelings start to hit you, impact you mentally and otherwise, and sometimes very physically as well. Now, that's just one aspect. Let's move to the workplace itself. I really don't want to be in that space with these other people. 
the, the, the design of the space has not allowed me to get my own space. In fact, one of the things I find quite often with one or two of my own clients okay. is to come all the way, travel into London, and guess what they do? Put the headphones on and they're facing a computer. And so they've taken an action after, after having observed this, that actually we're here for each other. Let's at least take a couple of hours here because I can do that at home if I needed to. So they're partitioning. So these are the kind of things. It's the behaviours. It's the people, you know, uh, around you. So it's a lot of things coming together. That's productivity. Does that make yeah. sense, Asuka? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the better answers that I've heard. <laughs> How do you measure productivity? Hey, I'm going to put it into my world, right? So on Monday morning, I always like to go, right, what's my week looking like? So I've just got my diary out of my bag. Um, and on Monday, I have listed 17 things that I wanted to accomplish this week, okay? I have so far ticked seven of them off, okay? I could look at that and go, I have not had a very productive week. Actually, I know that I've had a really productive week because all the stuff written on my list here, some of it is just like, just cack that I didn't even want to do anyway. I didn't want to do it. And it wasn't going to move the needle anywhere. And it wasn't good for company if, if I did this either. So I know that I could probably, if I really wanted to do that thing that I always do, writing things down just to tick it off because I know I've done it, which I probably will do on my Friday afternoon reflection because I just get some satisfaction from that. It's weird. Um, but if I wrote down all the things that I've done that I didn't plan to do, I'd go, actually, I've had a really productive week. The thing that actually affected my productivity was I went to London on Tuesday and I was having a great time. I was totally in the flow. I was writing a document. I went to go on the internet to find something and the Wi-Fi cut out on the train. And I was like, oh, no, not now. And I found myself getting out of the flow very quickly because I was frustrated at the Wi-Fi not working. And I was thinking, do you know what? How many times has this happened when I've even been in a physical workplace? I can't even blame the train because that was felt like the equivalent of me being in the flow in the workplace and someone coming tapping me on the shoulder or somebody being too loud in the corner or person next to me banging the mouse and the type and all of them things that used to really get to me in the workplace. And I thought, you know what, like, we can be in the flow, we can be productive in different environments, but we also know what irritates us and what knocks us out of the flow. So, um, yeah, it just made me think of that, really. But, uh, I mean, you, you've got a lovely cat literally sat on your shoulder right now, right? You've only recently got this cat, yeah? So you could say, actually, if I was working right now, and obviously you are working, but if you're working right now doing another task and you think, oh, actually, I'm having a really lovely time because I'm having a lovely cuddle with the cat. If the cat jumped up and started running around, you're going to be like, oh, my, I'm going to be totally distracted because I've got a dog. And if she's sat still and snoring, I'm having a great time. If she's walking around going, I really need to go out, I'm like, oh, God. And I can't settle into my work until I know I've walked her. So I, I know that now, if I'm going to go into the flow of working on something, I go, right, before I sit here, does the dog need to go out? Because I know that if I get into the flow and she needs to go out, I'm going to get really irritated. Absolutely. So there's all of these things just affect our days, isn't it? That you just, I don't, I don't think I've been that self-aware before. Yeah, I think like like setting yourself up for success for the task that, the task that you've got to do. Literally, if you'd left a camera in the corner of the kitchen yesterday when I was working from home, like 70% of the time it's me pulling the cat off my laptop <laughs> and like telling it to go like and, and that was it um so, but but then but then I was thinking about you know the alternative of okay if I go into the office because I had some you know stuff I had to do yesterday I was thinking if I'm in the office guaranteed I know that I'm going to get disrupted and I know that people are going to come over 
and say hi because it's my first time in the office this week because I've been a client so it's like but I think that's the beauty of post-covid is that you know in an ideal situation you've got a really well-designed office that's meeting the needs of what people actually need you've given them the flexibility that they can work from home which has given them ultimate autonomy to say okay today I need to work on a report so my choice is bam work from home and I think that's the like I say this is such a good thing that's come out of COVID but I feel like we've not quite fully grasped it and finessed it yet with every single company yet and I wonder how long that'll take I had this brilliant I was on a very interesting course and there was a lady from the BBC there and she said that the last thing that really shook up the world of work pre like before COVID was probably the introduction of the internet which was in something Okay, so then you think about how long did it take for that to settle and for companies to catch up and for people to actually adopt this properly? Years. We didn't even get there before the next thing happened, which was COVID. So, like, we're looking at how how long is that going to take, really? So I think this is why I feel, I think, a little bit less pressure is that, yes, I don't have the solution. I can go through the processes with you to try and figure out what's going to be best for you, but we just don't know what the solution is just yet. I mean, we do, yeah. but, you know, I wonder how long it's going to take for people to realise that actually when they begged their managers to work from home for the rest of their lives two and a half years ago, they're probably now going, eh, can I change my contract back to be office based, please? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Do you anyway. know what's really refreshing? Because um, I know that as workplace consultants, uh, we are often asked for what's the pinpoint solution you know, what's that thing that's going to 100% set us up for the future? How do we make sure that when we do this, it's going to be right? And there's so many people in workplace that will go, oh, I've got the magic bullet, this is it. And I always sit there and go, no, I've not got a crystal ball for starters. And also, like, workplace is not a start and finish. Like, workplace, getting it right, it's an ongoing process. There shouldn't be an end to it. It should be constant iteration. And I'm sorry if that's not what you want to hear. But if you want to hear anything else, I'm not the workplace consultant to work with you. And it's I have walked away from projects because they do want that magic bullet and they want to go, I don't want to talk to you for the next five years, go away. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want, that's not what success looks like. Um, yeah. And I think, the, you know, we are coming past that now as an industry. There's still probably some traditional um, thinking going on at times, but I think it's interesting that, we are, and maybe it's age-wise, but I think we may be more happy to fail. I think we're more happy to think on our feet and accept that, yes, we need to keep learning. We need to cater for more needs in the workplace and more different people in the workplace. You know, five, ten years ago, we wouldn't have been speaking about neurodivergence like we do today. We wouldn't have been looking at the workplace design and saying, this area cannot be anywhere near that area because otherwise people that are neurodivergent are going to be totally thrown off by this. Like mm-hmm. we, we just wouldn't have been talking in that way. And yet we've evolved. So our thinking is constantly evolving. So therefore, why would our workplaces not evolve with it? It, it just it feels like we, we're missing something somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So that question for you then, back to our very original point around COVID being the catalyst for the changes that we already probably knew were best practice. I because th- I think that all of those conversations around you know neurodiversity and work is all being and, and the, is all been triggered by COVID because we had this huge amount of empathy for each other now that maybe we didn't have pre-COVID. I wonder like if COVID had never happened, what would the world of work still be like? Would we all still be five days in the office? You know, wh- I wonder if if it weren't for COVID, like wh- where would we be? 
Yeah. Although having said that, my commute into London is packed. I don't know about you guys, but like the yeah. train, it's like COVID what, you know, yeah. like still, still the same. So I'm really thankful that it happened because like I said, it's, it's triggered all these things. We can have these conversations. HR are getting more involved, but this is just the beginning of those conversations with all of our clients of, and then, and then like you say, trying to figure it out and, and, and actually be like, okay, well, then what's the best, best case scenario in this situation then for you guys? Yeah. But the office is a software, I think is, that you know that's a thing now is you know you're collecting data on it you're looking at the occupancy you're surveying your staff you're getting the feedback you know that there's these these furniture subscription companies now Nornorm I think the name is it's come out of Ikea where it's like right you know brilliant let's have more of that please because actually yeah okay those six desks aren't being used because we've had sensors telling us that the occupancy is really low let's go to Nornorm and see if they've got another meeting pod because our meeting pods were jam-packed in the past three months that is like mm. Bring it. Can't yeah. wait. Yeah, and I love that from what it's going to do for experience, but then also, also the sustainability angle of it all. Too much workplace furniture goes in a skip at the end of a, a, a new, the start of a new project because, oh, well, the occupancy data says it's not being used, therefore we don't need it anymore. It's mm. like, oh, and there's so, so much of that. So we had that with a client in, in Munich where they had... um. We, we kept calling it like a collaboration spine kind of down the middle of the floor. But it was a big rectangle collaboration space down the middle. And um, it wasn't until they sent us pictures of the site that we realised why this collaboration spine was being completely unused. And it was literally on a platform with no acoustics around it and no visual anything. Like it was just this open, you were like on a stage on a sofa and it's like okay yes that's not being used but you've, you've put it completely in the wrong place add some acoustics add a i don't know a, an acoustic panel around it or something and you're going to have people using it so it, it's like yes the occupancy data says yes or no is it being used but then it's the understanding okay then why is it because you know the light's broken or the technology's broken or the chair's squeaky or the you know the air conditioning's too noisy or the glare from the sun comes around you know the the data takes you to a certain point there's always an element of human this is why i think artificial intelligence is great but humans will out yes i think hey i don't know how you think about the whole chat gpt stuff um i find it fascinating watching it unravel what i'm not finding fascinating is scrolling through my linkedin and seeing posts like i asked gpt this and this is what it said and i'm like i don't care if I wanted to know what Jack, Chat GPT thought about that, I would just ask it myself. Since what's Chat BT? Sorry, Chat, I don't know what that is. Chat GPT. So it's the AI tool where you can literally. I'll, I'll send you the link later. It's fascinating stuff, and it's it's AI essentially. Yeah. And it writes it for you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, I do know exactly what you're talking yeah. about because um we yeah. we tried it the other day, and um yeah. we we typed in best man speech for a yeah. groom who's obsessed <laughs> with cricket. And it did it. Yeah, yeah. And I was oh. like, okay, but then, you know, if I typed in future of work and you typed in future, if we all three did it now, would it churn out the exact same thing word for word? Yes. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Your prompt, your prompt drives your, your response. And, um, you know, the more refined you get with your prompt and specific you make it, the better the response would be. Um, so yeah there's pros and cons to yeah. you know it's very early stage but, yeah I think what I'm finding frustrating about the tool actually and how people are using it and it's not what it was intended for is people are now almost the equivalent of me going on Google and typing a question in Google and then posting the answer on LinkedIn and it's like well why I don't need to know that 
and mm. it's now almost people are using it as content writing using chat gpt and they're putting the, the answer on linkedin you're like i can tell that's come from the talk and it's like don't don't start trying to get likes on linkedin from something that ai is doing like where where's the human interaction in yeah yeah that, so you know like like we were saying earlier about how everyone's suddenly become a workplace consultant everyone's become an expert on esg and everyone's become an expert on future of work etc like, mm. i saw a very funny post that was like the fastest things on earth a cheetah the sound of light an airplane people becoming experts in esg fastest <laughs> things on- <laughs> it's like, yeah so i think be, being it and especially with you know with the future of work and, and workplace consultants you know everyone's it, and, and and then tools like that that just don't help people like myself who's genuinely trying to help people figure this out with like you said something like you know not one size fits one there's not the un- there's not an answer for everyone I'd love to hear what those consultants end up saying it is like yeah. pizza Fridays is that it is that yeah. your solution to everything so yeah it's a it, yeah. interesting market interesting times yeah, yeah. Do you know been. what like I could talk all day. <laughs> I, I was going to say, so much, listen, listen to you. I, too, I think, I think, uh, you know, but believe it or not, you've been you've been talking for a fantastic one hour, and uh, it's 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 great. And and you know, you know what's really nice about this is, I think it's um, I think it's very appropriate to the kind of things that I think people are feeling out there about a lot of the things, the topics that we've talked about, except they perhaps haven't had the time to really process their thinking, and and hopefully this conversation has helped them. Uh, think just that little bit more about taking time to think. <laughs> so, so good, 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 you know, good, good, good on them and good on us. Um, Seska, thank you very much. Thanks for um, spending time with us, having a coffee. Um, I love listening to these high quality conversations about real experiences. What's interesting for me is the convergence of HR, IT, and FM, and the need to help them all speak the same language. You know, given a key common goal is ultimately the productivity of staff wherever they are and the need to prioritize their experience as employees you know understanding what these mean how they're defined and what each department can do to play their part clearly is so important today thanks so much for listening to us today don't forget to join us on shape your work linkedin channel for more on workplace topics Remember, you can nominate yourself or others to be interviewed. Love to hear from you. Till next time.